Today, the light that separates mankind from the darkness is calling to all the earth. This is it. Today, the light that separates mankind from the darkness is calling. We've had the word of life. That was session one in 1 John. Then we had the message of light. That was session number two. Last week, we were blessed with Bob Russell. And today, we're back in 1 John, continuing through this series uh, of 1 John. If the Lord's willing, there's going to be about 12 sessions. And if you really don't like the topics, you got to take it up with John, because I'm just going through his book. The truth about righteousness. There's a lot of people that have an opinion about that which is right. But there is a truth about righteousness. So what is righteous? What is righteousness? The question really is this. What is right? Is there a right and is there a wrong? Can there be a right without a wrong? Is there a truth and is there a lie, a untruth? Can there be righteousness without unrighteousness? And here comes the question that I'm going to ask a whole bunch today. And I'm going to ask it, and I want you to take it personally when I ask it. If you're watching online, I'm asking you to take it personally. What if you find out that you are wrong about that which you thought was right? Let me clarify my questions. When I ask those questions, I'm not referring to, I am referring to us and, and right now, living in this current kingdom of men. I'm not referring to the kingdom of heaven where there will only be right. And I'm not referring to the kingdom of heaven when there will only be righteous. So these questions today are about here and now, life on this present earth. Is there, on this present earth right now, for us, is there a right and is there a wrong? Is, can there be a right in this time without a wrong? Is there a truth and is there an untruth, a lie? Can there be righteousness without unrighteousness? And what if you were wrong about what is right? What if you're absolutely, totally wrong about what you thought was right? And maybe the real question today, and we'll get to that one, is who decides? Can we decide for ourselves about right and wrong? Truth and lies, righteous and unrighteous. All of these questions are to bring us into the second chapter of 1 John. The word of life, the message of light, and now the truth about one of life's biggest questions, the truth about righteousness. I believe what I hold in my hand is the only physical source of absolute truth on this earth. So it wouldn't be good for me to ask someone's opinion about what is right, what is righteous. I want to go to the source, to the absolute truth, not opinions, but truth about righteousness. Here we go. We'll open up the second chapter of 1 John. 
My dear children, I am writing this to you, and I want you to understand, you've got a copy of what he's writing. I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. Isn't that a good place to start? I am right. I gave you a copy of the Holy Scriptures. It has been protected for generations for a purpose. I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ. Here he comes. The one, singular, who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world, all the world. In light of all those previous questions I ask, I wonder how many of you see it already. The truth about righteousness. In those few verses, in two verses, sin is mentioned five times in two verses. He says, I'm writing to you specifically so that you will not sin. How simple is that? I, I am writing this letter to the church to tell you there's a problem with sin. Don't do it. But if you do fall, if you do fall into sin, I want you to understand all is not lost. If anyone does sin, you have an advocate. And that advocate pleads your case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ. And here comes the revelation. The only one who is righteous. One, singular. One, the one who is truly righteous. That one verse pretty much covers all of our questions about right and wrong sin and righteousness. The one who is truly righteous, and what that means, he's right all the time, has instructed the Apostle John to tell us not to sin. Where do you think John got this? The one who is truly righteous reveals to the Apostle John, I want you to write a letter to the church and tell them, stay away from sin. Just don't do it. Don't do that which is wrong in the eyes of the one who is right. I'm going to say it again. Don't do that which is wrong in the eyes of the one who is right. Even if you think it feels right. Don't do that which is wrong in the eyes of the one, because he's singular, who is right. But it feels right to me. It feels good the truth about righteousness. There's only one that is righteous, and it ain't you, and it ain't me. There is only one who is righteous. Church, we need to come to grips with this foundational biblical truth. There's only one who is righteous, and it isn't me, it isn't you. There's only one that is truly righteous, and he gets to decide what is right and wrong, good and evil, righteous and unrighteous. He alone decides. Regardless of how, how powerful we might feel like we are in control of our little worlds, He alone decides. There's only one that is truly righteous. He has never done wrong. He never has been wrong. 
He never will be wrong. He is always right. He is the only one who is truly righteous. He, listen, never sinned. Not once. Do you believe that there was a perfect man, the only righteous man that ever lived on the earth? And the Apostle John tells us not to sin against our righteous God, but the truth is this. Do not sin. I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But the truth is this, we're going to sin. Even after we come to faith in Christ, you're going to have a time in which you're going to stumble. There's going to come a time in which you fall. In that case, we have an advocate. And when you look up this concept of an advocate, today it would be most recognizable as you've got a lawyer. You've got someone to go with you into God's courtroom. You've got an advocate. You've got a lawyer. In the spiritual realm, he would be a priest. Someone, because in the Old Testament, the priest stood between man and God, right? So you've got this, if you, don't sin. But if you do sin, I want you to know that you have an advocate, you have a lawyer, you have a priest, you have a go-between, between man and God the Father. Someone who is right. Someone who is right, right in the middle between man and God in heaven's courtroom. This is big, but I've got to tell you, that's the good news. And here's the bad news. There is another one who stands between man and God, and he's not right. What applies to Christians does not apply to non-Christians. We have an advocate. As a Christian, you have an advocate. As a Christian, you have a lawyer with you the one who is righteous, who will represent you in heaven's courtroom if you're a Christian, if you have faith in him, if you've been born again. But without him, you have no lawyer, and you will stand alone in heaven's courtroom. In Hebrews 4.14, it says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Now, let's, let's focus on this. Spiritually speaking, we have this advocate. We have this high priest. We have this lawyer who has entered heaven. He takes his place at the right hand of the Father, and he pleads our case before the Father. It only applies to believers. If you're not a Christian, you don't have an advocate. You will stand alone before God. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. Verse 15, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. Why? For he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. He's the only righteous man. He did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. There is only one man, church, who is totally righteous. He is a man. He is the Son of Man and the Son of God in the same person. Jesus Christ, always right. There is only one advocate that is qualified to plead our sin case before the Father 
in heaven. And there is only one high priest. He happens to be the same person. He is the only man who is righteous. He is the only advocate that can plead our case before the Father. And he is the only high priest who understands our weaknesses because he suffered in the human flesh in the same way we suffer in the human flesh. There is only one who is totally righteous. I'm going to keep saying it. There's only one advocate, one high priest, one son. And he didn't come down to earth from heaven to help angels. I want you to put this in your mind. God dispatched his only begotten son to come down to the earth as a lawyer, as an advocate, to represent the fallen, sinful, guilty people of the earth. To represent us, to stand between the Father and us. That's why he came. He didn't come to help angels. He came to help us. There is only one that is always right. Listen carefully. So he singularly is righteous. And he's the only one singularly that is righteous. The man, the priest, the advocate. And he right now stands between me and God, between you and God, in the middle. He's always right, right in the middle. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. But what if there's another one? One that is wrong. And he, like Jesus, is also for now right in the middle between man and God. What if there's another one? I'm talking about a spirit power that is always wrong. He's not always right. He's always wrong. But as for now, he also stands between man and God. He has a dominion and authority as of now. Hebrews 2.16. We also know that the son did not come to help angels. He didn't come down to the earth to represent the angelic realm. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. There he is in the middle again. Our faithful and merciful high priest standing between us and God, the Father. Then, then, and only then, he's perfect. He's taken his place as the advocate between man and God. He's perfect. Then, then, he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. Jesus is our advocate, our lawyer from heaven. He has been dispatched from heaven's courtroom to come down and represent the sinful, fallen, guilty people of the earth. And he's, he's offering you and I to stand between us and God on the last day in heaven's courtroom. Think about that. You and I will never be able to look at our perfect righteous lawyer from heaven and say, you really don't understand what it's like to be a person living down here. Because he does understand. Now back to the original questions with all of that background. Is there a right and is there a wrong? Can there be a right without a wrong? 
Is there a truth and is there a lie, an untruth? And can there be righteousness without an unrighteousness? And I'm talking about in our current realm. And what if, what if, what if you're one of those people here today, either watching online or you're in person, and what if you find out that you are wrong about that which you thought was right? And maybe the real question is, who decides? There is one that is always right, and he is right in the middle between man and God today. He is our advocate. He is always right. And right now he is right in the middle between man and God. But what if there's another one? Church, here's the battle. Here's the spirit war that many in the church still do not grasp. What if there's another one? One that is wrong. And he is right in the middle between man and God. He is another spirit. And instead of the Holy Spirit... He is the unholy spirit. And instead of the spirit of Christ, he is the spirit of antichrist. And he stands between man and God, except he's not always right. He's always wrong. He's never telling the truth. He always tells a lie. And what if you found out that you were wrong about that which was right? And what is the truth about righteousness? Who decides? right and wrong. Who decides? Who will announce the righteous and the unrighteous at the courtroom of heaven on last day? I will say it again. Who do you think that on the last day when you stand before God to give an account, who's going to decide what was right and what was wrong? Who was righteous and who was unrighteous? Do you think God's going to ask me? I'll be standing in line with the rest of you. Is there any man that is qualified to decide good and evil? Is there any man qualified to decide righteous and unrighteous, the saved, the lost, heaven and hell? There is only one who is righteous, and he is not us. He is not Satan. In Romans 10, uh, 14, 10. So why do you condemn another believer? Now, here's where it gets interesting. Listen carefully. If there's only one that is righteous then there is only one that can decide what is right and wrong. So then the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome and says, why would a believer condemn another believer? As if believer number one had the ability to determine right and wrong over believer number two. When there is an independent source of right and wrong, which is only one person, Jesus Christ the Lord. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Why do you think that you may have more understanding of right than the other believer has an understanding of right? Understanding that neither one of us are right. That neither one of us can decide on our own that which is right. We must all yield to a single source of righteousness, and that is apart from us. There's only one. Why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me. Every tongue will confess and give praise to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So I look around the room, understand that you, I, we're going to give a personal account. One day we're going to stand in heaven's courtroom. And the question is, will you have an advocate there with you when you stand there? 
Will your lawyer be representing you on that day? Or will you stand alone in heaven's courtroom? Each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. And the idea of condemning each other is the idea that somehow I, I, upon myself, have the ability to determine righteousness. I yield to this righteousness as the single source of righteousness. Not my opinion, not your opinion, his opinion only. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. So let me stop right now and ask a big question. Do you know him? This is session three in 1 John. We haven't gone very far. So let's just do a review. The first one was, he is the word of life. Do you know him? I didn't ask you, did you know about him? Do you know him? The second session was the revelation, he's the message of light, that his, his light drives out the darkness, the untruth. The righteous advocate from heaven. Do you know him? The one to whom all men will give an account. Whether you want to believe it or not is kind of irrelevant. I'm going to stand and give an account to him one day, and you're going to stand and give an account to him one day in heaven's courtroom. Do you know him? I didn't ask if you knew about him. Do you know him personally? Would you recognize his voice if he spoke to you? He says, my sheep recognize my voice and they follow me. Would you recognize his words? Are you a candidate for the deceiver, for the spirit of Antichrist? Because there is another power that wants to tell people what is right. Do you know the one whom every knee will bow one day? Do you know him, the one whom every tongue will confess as Lord and Master on that day? Is he your lawyer? Is he your advocate? Is he your high priest? Is he your savior? Is he your king? Do you have him on retainer to where he is your personal Lord and Savior so that on that day, regardless of what day that comes, he will stand between you and God in heaven's courtroom? Do you? It's yes or no. I don't know. If the answer is I don't know, the answer is no. Are you listening? If you don't know, the answer is no. Why do I make a big deal out of this? There is only one that is always right. And he right now is right in the middle between man and God. And he is offering you and I to represent us in heaven's courtroom on the last day. But what if there's another one? What if there's another one, another spirit power, one that is wrong, and he, like Jesus, is right in the middle, at least for now, between man and God, another spirit, and he's not the Holy Spirit, he's not the Spirit of Christ, the Apostle John, and by the way, we're going to get to this in just a few weeks, and by the way, the Apostle John calls it the spirit of Antichrist. There's a test. So I don't do this just to make you feel uncomfortable. There's a test recorded in 1 John chapter 2 that's going to help us truthfully answer the question, do you know him? Are you ready? Everybody want to take a test? Raise your hand. No, you don't, but go ahead. It goes faster if you just participate. 
There's a test in 1 John chapter 2 that would help me to understand the truth about righteousness. Do I know him? Do I know him? Is this lawyer on retainer for me? Is he my advocate, my priest, my savior, my king, my Lord? How can I know for sure? Take the test. You ready? Verse 3. And we can be for sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Or maybe, stop, stop, stop. Maybe you think you've got another way to know for sure. Then you have put yourself in the position where you know the truth about righteousness more than him. Because what is the righteousness of Christ has revealed this. We can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, he's my lawyer, he's my advocate, he's my high priest, he's going to stand next to me on the day that I have to give an account, I know him. If anyone claims you know God but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person's a liar. What if you were wrong about that which you thought was right? That person's a liar. What? And is not living in the truth. Do you remember those original questions today? Is there a right and is there a wrong? Can there be a right without a wrong? You see what's unique about all of those questions is they're two-sided. They're two-sided. Church, there's two-sided. There's a spirit of Christ and a spirit of Antichrist. And both stand between man and God. One tells you the truth, the other one tells you a lie. Can there be a right without a wrong? Is there a truth? Is there a lie? Can there be righteousness without unrighteousness? Is there a Holy Spirit and an unholy spirit, the spirit of Christ and the spirit of Antichrist between us and heaven's courtroom today? One is an accuser and the other one is a savior? What if you're wrong? What if you're wrong about that which you thought was right? What source will you go to to find the truth about righteousness? Will it be your opinion? Will it be the guy down the road? Will it be your family culture? Will it be the government? Will it be the school system? Will it be academia? Will it be news? What will be the source of truth about that which is right? You? Who decides? Can we decide for ourselves about right and wrong, truth and lies, righteous and unrighteous? Because you know what I hear people say? I get it all the time. But preacher, it just feels right. Huh? You laugh, but you laugh because you know you've heard it too. But preacher, I know, I know that's what that says. I can read, but it just feels right to me. We can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person's a liar and is not living in the truth. What do you think that's really saying? Why is that person a liar? Because that person is taking preeminence over the source of righteousness and saying, my concept of righteousness overrides the only source of righteousness. There's only one that is right, and it ain't me, and it ain't you. There's only one that is always right, right in the middle between man and God. But I'm going to say it again, but what if there's another one? 
What if there's another one who's always wrong and he's right in the middle between man and God? Do you see the answer to all the questions today? How they're two-sided, the truth about righteousness? Much of the lost and unbelieving world, let's get practical. Much of the lost and unbelieving world sees Christianity as do's and don'ts that restrict their ability to have a good life. Right? Let's be honest. I live in the real world. Much of the lost, unbelieving world sees us as burdened down by this book. It's got all these do's and all these don'ts. And how can you have a fulfilling life carrying around this big ball and chain of a Bible and do's and don'ts? And what's happening is they're seeing life by what seems right to them. By what seems right to them individually, rather than what is right to the world from an independent source of authority. Much of the lost and unbelieving world sees Christianity as burdensome. And, I, and I'm careful with that word. Burdensome. It's heavy. A weight or a load that's too heavy to bear. It's not worth the trouble. Gets in the way of your freedom. Freedom to do what? What does Christianity get in your way to do? Freedom to do that which I feel is right to do. That independent source of authority conflicts with my desire to do what I think is right. Who decides? Believers, on the other hand, see Jesus as the ultimate freedom. The one who lightens our burdens. Unbelievers see Jesus in the opposite light, burdensome, too heavy, not worth the cost. So I'm going to jump ahead a little bit to 1 John chapter 5, okay? I'm going to go 1 John 5 verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. Now that means you all got to love each other. Okay? I've heard people say, you know, I'd love church if it weren't for all those people. <laughs> you got to love each other. Everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. He did it again, didn't he? We know we love God's children if we obey God and love His commandments. Loving God means keeping His commandments. What, loving God simply means acknowledging that He is the single source of right. His commandments are not burdensome, ball and chain. They are freedom because you don't have to decide what's right. He already did it for you. Just accept it. He already decided. Verse 3, loving God means keeping His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory. You see the Antichrist? Anybody see the Antichrist? For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through faith. And who can win this battle of the spirit of Antichrist that's a liar, that makes you think that you on your own can decide that which is right and wrong, when there's a single source of that and it's not us? Who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Let me tell you what burdensome looks like. Listen carefully, church. Let me tell you what burdensome looks like. 
burdensome looks like a future day, maybe soon, when you will stand before God in heaven's courtroom with sin and rebellion covering you, and you don't have a lawyer. You don't have an advocate, you don't have a high priest, and you don't have a hope. And in that moment, the judgment will already be determined. Guilty. Guilty. Let me tell you what burdensome looks like. Guilty. You're a sin. You're a sinner. You've sinned against the creator of the universe. You've broken his laws. You've rejected the lawyer that was dispatched from heaven's throne to come to planet earth to represent you in the courtroom of the last day. You rejected him. That's what burdensome looks like. Instead of receiving the lawyer from heaven, you followed the other spirit, the spirit of Antichrist, who currently stands between man and God. I call him the lying lawyer. What does the lying lawyer Satan say to man? Did God really say? Did God really say that? I want to tell you what burdensome looks like. Death. It looks like the grave. It looks like hell itself. They are all very heavy, and you will be left to carry them by yourself into heaven's courtroom because you refuse to believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Listen carefully. On the day that a believer stands before God in heaven's courtroom, and Jesus is your advocate, Jesus is not going to have your case dismissed by some wily rule like modern lawyers do, try to manipulate the law. He's not going to do that. You know what Jesus is going to do as he stands, our lawyer, our advocate, our high priest, our savior will do? He will look at the father and say, yes, he is guilty. Yep, you're right. You're always, your judgment is always right. They are all guilty. But I will pay his fine. His fine is death. And I died for him. That lawyer, our advocate, our high priest, our savior, will look at the father and say, paid in full. You're free. What do you think is going to happen on that day if you've rejected that lawyer? You will stand alone before God. And you will be guilty. Because we're all guilty. We're all guilty. But instead, we have no one to pay, no one to represent, no one righteous, no one righteous to stand before the righteous judge. No way to pay off the sin debt. So death, death, what is death? Death is not some unconscious fade to black nothingness. Death is a conscious non-life existence in the absence of God's presence. It's called hell. Burdensome looks like death, grave, and hell. Jesus came to carry that which we are unable to carry, a burden. It's heavy. Do you think it was heavy? Why do you think in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he died, he sweats like drops of blood? It's heavy. It's heavy. It's a burden. Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It's heavy. 
And if he doesn't carry it for you, you will carry it yourself into heaven's courtroom. And you will be denied entry into the kingdom of heaven. On the screen when we took communion, what did we read? He was pierced for my transgressions. He was crushed for my iniquities. The punishment that brought me peace today was upon him that day on the cross. And by his wounds, I have been healed. By his wounds, I am set free. Jesus, our righteous lawyer, our advocate, came to carry our unrighteousness by giving us the truth about righteousness. Do you get it today? There's only one that is righteous, and it isn't you, it isn't me, it isn't Satan, it isn't the spirit of Antichrist, it isn't the government, it isn't social media, it is Him and Him alone. No one else will stand with you in God's courtroom on the last day. No one. Jesus carried our burden of sin and death into the grave and left them there, paid in full by his righteous act of submission to the Father. Jesus' blood on the cross paid off my sin burden. Yes, it was heavy, but I must receive this gift of salvation by putting faith in his name. This is what Jesus offers us today. Before you have to stand before God in heaven's courtroom, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary. Anybody weary? Because I am. In this world, I am weary. I see the spirit of Antichrist at work now like I've never seen the spirit of Antichrist in my lifetime. Many are being deceived. Many are falling into sin. Many are falling away from the very simple truth. I'm writing these things to you so that you will not sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate. And they ignore it. They ignore it. Yielding to the spirit of Antichrist. Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. That's sin. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Now listen, I want you to make sure you understand that he gives you a burden, and the burden is not nothing. But it's lighter than one than I will carry alone. God's Word, God's commandments are not burdensome. They are the only chance we have to experience true freedom. Freedom from sin, death, and the grave. Rest for your souls. Do you want the truth about righteousness? It's a real question. Do you? Are you sure you want the truth about righteousness? Because you might have to change. Do you want the word of life? Do you want the message of light? Do you want the truth about righteousness? That's John's letter. The truth about righteousness is freedom. Everything else is bondage and death. Is there a right? Is there a wrong? Yes. Can there be a right without a wrong? Not today, at least. They are both present on this earth. Is there a truth and is there a lie, an untruth? Yes. The spirit of Christ and the spirit of Antichrist. Can there be righteous without unrighteous? There is right now. One day the one will cease. And what if you're wrong? Oh, but preacher, it feels right to me. Some guy walks into my office one day, and he's seeing another woman. His wife founds out about it, and he says, but you know, it just feels right. 
Where did he get that from? Who, who told him it was right? Maybe the real question is who decides? There is one that is always right, right in the middle between man and God. But today I declare something to you, church. There is another one who is wrong. And at least for now, he is right in the middle between man and God. He is a lying, murdering spirit of Antichrist. John 8, 42, Jesus is talking to religious folks. That's about the kindest way I can put it. And he says this in John 8, 42, if God were your father, they claim God to be their father, right? If God were your father, you would love me. Because I have come to you from God, and I am not here on my own. He, he sent me. He dispatched me from heaven's courtroom to represent you guys. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. Now, that's a spiritual term. You, you cannot hear me. And why can't you hear? He's the Son of God talking to them. Why can't they hear him? Because they're listening to the other father. There too. They're listening to, they can't hear him because they've trained themselves to listen to the other one. Here we go. Why can't, because you can't even hear me. Verse 44, for you are the children of your father, the devil. And you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth. He doesn't want the truth about righteousness. He hates the truth. Because there's no truth in him, so you're not going to get any truth out of him. And when he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and he's the father or the originator of all lies. So when I, Jesus, listen, this is so big. So when I, Jesus, tell you the truth, ready? So when I, Jesus, tell you the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. What do you mean naturally? Because you will not naturally believe the truth, when you have been trained to believe the lie. You just naturally don't believe me. Because you're listening to the other father. The spirit of Antichrist is not going to tell you the truth about righteousness. You can only know what is right by coming into fellowship with the one who is righteous. Can we decide for ourselves about right and wrong, truth and lies, righteous, unrighteous? It sure feels good, preacher. I want to I experience the fullness of my life. And to do that, I need to, I need to do what, what feels good, right? I want to read the first four verses in summary today. First four verses. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father in heaven. He is Jesus Christ, the one, singular, who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only for our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. The truth about righteousness, there you go. There's only one that is truly righteous, and it's not you, it's not me. And there's a lying spirit of Antichrist trying to define right, and he's good at it. There are two more verses in this section of 1 John that will sum everything up today. 
This is not just about obedience to God's commandments. That's how the world sees the church. It's not just about staying out of sin, doing do's and don'ts. That's how the world sees the church. It's about something even bigger than obeying commandments and staying out of sin. It's the reason the word of life, the message of light, and the truth of righteousness. It's the reason for all the above. It's called love. The whole world wants love, right? I've never met a person that doesn't desire to be loved and to love. But they're looking for love in all the wrong places. That's a good country song. First John 2, 5. Those who obey God's Word. You ready? Those who obey God's Word truly show how completely they love Him. If you're struggling with that, then you're struggling with the truth about righteousness. You're struggling with the truth about that which is right versus that which is wrong. The sources. This is how we know we're living in Him. Today I want to say something very personal for me. I bow my life down to this King Jesus, not because of His commandments. I bow down to this Jesus because I love Him. With all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and all my strength. I submit my life to Christ every morning. It's something I do every day, not reluctantly, but with great love and anticipation. It is my greatest joy in life to serve this King. In Him, I have found rest for my soul, purpose, and meaning for my burdensome life. Years and years ago, I don't know how long ago it was, I came across Romans chapter 12, and it was so powerful to me in that moment that it became part of my daily prayer life. I've changed it around a bunch, but then I've told you on multiple occasions. I encourage you, look at Romans 12. You want to start your day with a prayer? This would be a good one. In Romans 12, it'll be on the screen. I kind of going to adapt it to what I do. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, I offer my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is my spiritual act of worship. I don't want to conform any longer to the patterns or the ways of this world, for they'll lead me to death. But I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind so that I might be able to then, and finally then, be able to test and approve and know your good and perfect and pleasing will. And I do that in the morning when I get up, and here's why. Servants never look at their master and tell them what they're going to do today. They look at the master and say, well, what are we going to do today? The problem with living sacrifices, I offer my body as a living sacrifice. The problem with living sacrifices is they want to crawl off the altar. Dead sacrifices stay on the altar. I don't pray that prayer every morning because of fear. Are you listening? Even though I fear God. I don't pray that prayer every morning because of His commandments, even though I know the truth about righteousness. I pray that prayer every morning because I love Him. And He loves me. He is my Father. I am His child. I love Him because I know Him. 
He has revealed himself to me through his word by way of the Holy Spirit. I have experienced him in so many ways. I could spend the rest of my life telling you how. And you might not believe it, and I don't care. He is real. He is personal. He is powerful. And if you will seek him with all of your heart, you will find him. For he is not far from you. I have never had anyone personally die for me before. Never has someone taken my place and said, I will die so that you won't have to. Never. I live for him because he died for me. That kind of love is bigger than anything I've ever known before. I've never encountered anything that's even on that same level. 1 John 3, 16. We know what real love is. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's the church. And that brings up the final verse from 1 John today. What now? After we know the truth about righteousness, after we experience the love of Christ, what now? While we wait for our king to come, and I believe he's coming soon, what now? The truth about righteousness has a calling. The truth about righteousness, it has a purpose. 1 John 2, 6, here we go. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. That's the truth about righteousness. Those who say they live in God should live their lives like Jesus lived his life. That's the goal. That's where we set our sights. That's our life's purpose. I might be the only Jesus that guy down the road will see this year, or maybe in his lifetime. If the Spirit of Christ lives in me, what else would I be doing except to try to share the light with those people around me? He came, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. One of the greatest demonstrations of this high calling of Jesus was seen on the night before he went to the cross. Jesus gathers his disciples together for a meal. We call it the Last Supper. He washed their feet. And when he was finished washing their feet, he said this. John 13, 12. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. That's the church. That's the church. Verse 15, I have given you an example to follow. Church, do as I have done to you. Is there a right? Is there a wrong? Yep, right now. Can there be a right without a wrong? Not currently. They're both existing on this present earth. Is there a truth and is there a lie, an untruth? Well, for now there is. Can there be a righteousness without an unrighteous? The spirit of Antichrist is operating on the earth alongside the spirit of Christ. They are both operating in the same time. In fact, you won't read of the spirit of Antichrist until the time of Christ begins. The word's not in the Bible until the 
the time of Christ, the spirit of Antichrist appears at the same time. Right now they operate side by side, but one day that will change. And I ask you today, what if you are wrong about that which is right? What would you do? Maybe the real question is, who gets to decide? You? It'd be a terrible thing to be wrong about. Can we decide for ourselves about right and wrong, truth and lies, righteous and unrighteous? King David experienced a time when he was wrong about that which he thought was right. It sure seemed right to him at the time. Her name was Bathsheba. Bathsheba seemed right at the time, but it was adultery and it was wrong. Yes, the man that God called a man after his own heart was wrong about that which was right. Are you with me? God calls David a man after his own heart. And David, this man of God, was wrong about that which was right. David didn't stay wrong. That's the beautiful thing about this lawyer of ours. David didn't stay wrong. It's called repentance. And David's repentance is recorded in Psalms 51. And today, I want to close by saying this. What I'm about to read to you is the truth about righteousness. It's just three verses. He says this. This is after he, he found out the truth about righteousness. David is talking to God, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you, God, against you alone, God, have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, and I'll insert, from the moment my mother conceived me, I was wrong and you were right. Do you want the truth about righteousness? What's the alternative? There's only one that's truly righteous and it's not you and it's not me. And what if you're wrong about that which you think is right? To be wrong about that which is right is deadly. There you go. The truth about righteousness. And what is our response to this truth about righteousness? Next week's topic will be called the new old commandment. And when I think about this entire topic today, and I've, I've kind of struggled with this sermon all week long, how to present it. And here's why. The more I look at this topic, the more I am overwhelmed. I am overwhelmed. Here's why I'm overwhelmed. I am overwhelmed by the righteousness, by the rightness of God, the righteousness of Christ. I am overwhelmed by the single idea that God would dispatch his only begotten son to the earth of lost, sinful, guilty people to represent us in the courtroom of the last day. I am overwhelmed. Why would he do that? It is a love beyond my human comprehension. Why would he do that? So there's a scripture. What scripture? 
And, and it kind of represents my heart today. It's Isaiah 61. Isaiah says, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God. For he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in the robe of righteousness. I'm like a bridegroom in his wedding suit or a bride in her jewels. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. I'll ask Chad to come out for the invitation. You understand, he has draped me in his righteousness, this advocate, this lawyer. So that day on the cross when the Son of God was taking my punishment, what he did, they stripped him naked. They took off his righteousness. And all of the sins of mankind were placed on him. That day, he stripped off, they stripped off his clothes, his righteous robe, and when I put my faith in him, the righteous robe of Christ, he places on me and stands between me and God. I am overwhelmed. I am overwhelmed. I cannot comprehend that kind of love. And I'm going to ask you this question, and we're going to sing a song. Who would turn this down? Who would turn down the righteousness of Christ? Who would turn down the idea that when you stand before God one day, he'll stand between you and God and say, that one's with me. Paid in full. My righteous robe covers their sin. You know the answer, don't you? You don't believe it. Because if you believed it, you'd run to him. You'd run to him. I wouldn't have to talk you into anything. You'd run to him. And you'd fall on your face in front of him. And that's the truth about righteousness. We're going to sing an invitation. And whatever the Holy Spirit's doing in your heart today, my advice to you is say, yes, Lord. Just say, yes, Lord. We don't get to choose what is right. He does. And we submit our lives to him. And he is the advocate.